Hello, everybody. Jace here. Just wanted to remind you, as San Diego Comic-Con is imminent, that my friends over at Rocket Ship Entertainment, the industry leader in publishing hit web comics, and the 2021 Ringo Award winner for Favorite Publisher, is going to make their first ever appearance at San Diego Comic-Con this year for 2022. Uh, their booth is number 2707. It's on the main show floor. Fans can pick up graphic novels, games, merchandise, including two exclusives, from the Eisner-nominated smash hit Let's Play, the San Diego Comic-Con exclusive Let's Play coloring book, and the San Diego Comic-Con exclusive Starbucks Bowser t-shirt. And if you're a fan of Let's Play, you'll know exactly who Bowser is. He's the cutest little puppy in the world. Uh, the creator of Let's Play will be there, Leanne Krasik, as well as Nick Selleck from Lars the Awkward Yeti. They're going to be doing signings throughout the weekend, as well as other creators that have a rocket ship entertainment properties, such as Ryan Benjamin, Tom Zaller, Riley Brown, Sanford Green, Danny Shinya, Tom Akel, Sherard Jackson, Rob Feldman, and Kevin Scott, who's going to have a secret project announced during the legendary comics panel. So the signing schedule will be posted at the rocket ship booth. So be sure you swing by so you know when your favorite creators are going to be signing. There's going to be free prints as avail available as well. Also, Nick Selleck is going to be doing some free sketches from his property, Lars the Awkward Yeti and Heart and Brain. Ryan Benjamin is going to be doing some live sketching of characters from the upcoming Stan Lee's Genesis tabletop game. And there's also going to be portfolio reviews. So if you're a new or aspiring artist, you'd like to have your work critiqued on Thursday, the 21st from 1 to 2. Tom Akel and Ryan Benjamin will be reviewing portfolios. And then on Saturday, the 23rd from 1 to 2, Leanne Krasik will be reviewing portfolios. So sign up and get your work looked at by some very talented professionals. In addition to the booth, there are also going to be some panels. So we've got Taking Off with Rocket Ship Entertainment on Saturday, July 23rd from 6 to 7 in room 23ABC. Tom Akel, the CEO of Rocket Ship, is going to participate in the Kickstarting Comics in 2022 and beyond. That panel is Thursday, July 21st, 3 to 4 p.m. in room 9. And then finally, Ryan Benjamin is going to be talking about his boot camp art uh, program that he has going on. So the Comic Pro Boot Camp Art Demo is going to be Saturday, July 23rd from 1230 to 2 p.m. in room 2. So if you're interested at all, swing by the booth. Like I said, tons of giveaways, tons of great properties, and tons of great creators from Rocket Ship Entertainment. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. I uh, hope you guys all got a chance to, over the weekend, check out uh, the couple of episodes that came out on Rocky's channel and on the uh, audio-only Comic Source feed, where we finally got around to talking about the last two issues of both uh, Clear from Scott Snyder and Francis Manipole, as well as Night of the Ghoul from Scott Snyder and uh, Francisco Francavilla. Francesco Francovia. So we really enjoyed those. And part of what spurred us to finally get off our butts and get those out there to you is that there's a big wave 
of best jacket titles coming again uh, as this is being released. So today, Tuesday, if you're listening as this uh, is being released, the next wave on Comixology of best jacket originals are coming out with Barnstormers, Scott Snyder and Tula Lote. We have uh, Dudley Dotson and the Forever Machine, Scott Snyder and Jamal Eichel is the penciler. And then finally, a Canary from Scott Snyder and uh, Dan Pinochian. So uh, we've got those three to talk about. And also from IDW, we have Dark Spaces Wildfire. Now, Dark Spaces, uh, it's kind of an anthology imprint, this creator-owned imprint that Scott's going to be uh, releasing content under over at IDW. So you see Dark Spaces Wildfire, but you'll also see Dark Spaces and you know another subtitle of other stuff. But the, the cool thing is, it's not just Scott. There's going to be other creators that uh, that Scott's going to be. Uh, I don't know if he's exactly mentoring or choosing them or how exactly it's working, but you know he is involved. Um, uh, you know, kind of maybe as editorial, maybe giving advice, or as I said, mentoring. But we're going to get other titles, other properties under the Dark Spaces imprint. Well, the first one is from Scott and artist Hayden Sherman, who we've covered uh, plenty of stuff that he's done before uh, on the show. And so this first one is Wildfire, which is about um, a firefighting crew. Uh, maybe you're not aware of this. I'm very much aware of it because my father was uh, worked for the Department of Corrections in California. A lot of times fighting those wildfires in California, they use people that are incarcerated in um, the California penal system. So and we'll get into some details or whatever. And, and that being said, I sh- good time to tell you all, we're spotlighting these books. We're not going to go, you know, page by page and do like a, a huge recap, but there are spoilers. Like if you haven't had a chance to read these and you're planning on reading them and you don't want anything spoiled, go and check them out first and then come back and, and listen to the content. So again, we're going to cover the three comicsology books that come out on Tuesday, January, or uh, sorry, July 19th. And then um, the Dark Spaces Wildfire that comes out on the 20th. So uh, I was really impressed with these, you know, Rocky and I have talked a lot about Scott being um, at his best when he's doing this creator own stuff. There aren't the rules that there are with licensed properties, writing Batman or Superman. And you know, those rules exist for a reason and very valid reasons. I don't begrudge the rules, but when there are no rules or Scott's making the rules and then can break his own rules if he wants, I mean, it's just, it's a freedom to tell a better story at the end of the day. So I thought every one of these was great. Some I liked more than others, obviously. Oh, it's just, I, I agree. But, I mean, and and completely different settings. We got the 1920s. We got we kind of got the latter part, of, you know, post-Civil War America. We got sort of like a modern day sort of inventor of Dudley Datsun. And then we got the wild forest fire fighting in, in the forestry of California uh, in pre- present day. I mean, just – just such an eclectic blend of, of stories and all from the one mind of Scott Snyder. And he, you know, he does an amazing job choosing the right artist for each of these stories as well. And, you know, it isn't going to be a complete love fest here. We can be, uh, you know, there are some criticisms here, but I mean, for the most part here, I'm enjoying this. As I said to you, this is such a refreshing change. It's a, you know, we, we live in a day and age or in this particular era of comic books, things are cyclical, but I, I find myself moving more and more away in terms of uh, the big two, in terms of, the stories that I really find compelling. I'm still enjoying the DC. We, of course, we review DC for your uh, comic source podcast and on my channel and, and what have you. But uh, this is the type of indie work, the type of passionate creations that I love to, you know, that we love to read about. This is what comic books are all about. And it's great that Scott Snyder isn't just writing this, but he, he also has, he, he he's also going to have some projects coming out where, 
where some of the students that he's actually teaching through his uh, through his monthly uh, Substack, uh, they're going to have opportunities. So the, his own students are going to be publishing their materials as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what Scott Snyder and his his inaugural class sort of bring to the table in in the future. Yeah, and the other part, kind of uh, with the diversity of these stories, because yeah, you're right, Rocky. Every one of these stories is wildly different in setting and tone and and what they're trying to do. At least that's how it feels. Uh, in these first issues. The other part is, you know, working with these fantastically talented artists for very distinct styles. Uh, and Scott has uh, himself talked about how one of the things he loves about these comicsology originals is how, you know, they're all coming out digitally to begin with. But then when they do come out in print later on from Dark Horse, being able to play with the format, right? Like they're not all going to come out. Like We Have Demons is the only comicsology original that's come out. My understanding is we're going to get clear and Night of the Ghoul out in print, at least beginning to be uh, out in print before the end of the year. Um, but they may not all come out in that same format. Uh, we Have Demons came out very much in the traditional comic printed comic book format, monthly release, variant covers, what have you. I could see something like Barnstormers being a very nice, like, oversized hardcover, or maybe even going um, the landscape orientation rather than the portrait orientation, you know, where it's wider than it is tall. Uh, I think that would be fantastic. And I, I find myself as I'm reading these books thinking about, yeah, I wonder what the best way to present this would be. So that's another aspect of it. You're still going to get these, even if you're not into digital comics and you want to wait for the print, you know, again, that's fine, but we are going to get into a little bit of the detail of the story. So we'll kick it off with uh, the book that's coming out Wednesday. Uh, again, Dark Spaces Wildfire. It's from IDW. I do uh, want to apologize for whatever reason, the uh, digital preview copy we got from IDW doesn't have a credits page. So as I mentioned, it is written by Scott. Obviously, Hayden Sherman is the artist. I don't know. And Hayden typically does his own color. So I'm not 100% on that, but I, I think this is probably Hayden coloring his own line work. But I don't know who the letterer is. So I apologize for that. But ba the basic story, as I mentioned earlier, um, wildfires raging in California. Uh, and I find this so, so interesting that Scott chooses that for a setting. You know, he's an East Coast guy, grew up in New York City, lives in a uh, little upstate New York now, a little north of the city. I grew up in California, so very familiar with the wildfires. And, uh, you know, we know climate change, whether you believe it or not. Um, it is a thing where, uh, and Scott mentions this, it's one of the lines that stood out to me in the narrative uh, it talks about how, yeah, it used to be a bad fire season every three or four years in California. And that's kind of how it was when I was growing up. And then it got to be every other year. And then it got to be every year. And now, and it was always <laughs> fire season, right? When it was the dry time during the summer. Because um, California is not one of those places where like Florida, let's say, or even here where I'm at in Arizona, where you get um, a lot of precipitation even in the summer. That's just not how it is. Mm -hmm. California... It used to be it rained during the wintertime, but summer was always dry. Now it doesn't even rain during the wintertime, but that's neither here nor there. But my point being the line was, yeah, fire season now went from, you know, every three or four years to every other year to every year to now fire season lasts 13 months a year. Obviously, the connotation there is it's, you know, it's just there's never enough moisture. There's always these big fires. And so uh, this tells the story of a crew of um Firefighters are overseen by a CO, a correctional officer, uh, and they're in the hills of, of uh, California fighting these fires. There are four inmates. They each have a specific job to do on the fire line, and they're overseen by this um, the CO, Ma is what they call her. And uh, it's clear that she's been through some bad stuff in her life. Maybe she's lost a daughter, it seems like, based on kind of the context and some of the the, um, the visuals that we see. Uh, and I, 
it's really interesting where she's kind of narrating it um, for us in a way. And I, I, again, I don't want to spoil, we get a kind of a glimpse of the future right at the beginning. And then we go back and then at the end we're reminded, Hey, that glimpse of the future, it does tie back into, to who these people are. Now, what this does by having Ma, this correctional officer, uh, narrate it for us is it gives us a, a POV character, first of all. And second of all, it allows us to be introduced to these other prisoners. And one of the things I love that Scott like immediately addressed through the, the words of Ma, through what she's saying is, yeah, your first question is going to be, well, what did these four women do to be uh, incarcerated? Right. And uh, I love it. Her response is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they did because when you get out there on the fire line and you're putting your life on the line and you're trying to protect property and lives, it doesn't matter what came before. It's a new beginning. So I really appreciated that. Now, again, I, I do have some context. I have friends who were uh, firefighters that fought wildfires in California that I went to high school with and whatnot. My brother's a firefighter. Um, so yeah, a lot of what was being said here kind of uh, rang true for me. Um, and actually one of my, uh, he actually was brother of an ex-girlfriend of mine. He was a smoke jumper. Um, so he definitely fought. And if you're not familiar with that, is it, they're the ones that get parachuted into the fire, uh, in, into the fires where they're really in backcountry and you can't get to them, um, you know, by roads or whatever. Uh, and they would parachute. That's a crazy in job. Sounds like an insane yeah, job. Yeah. He, yeah, he, he loved it. I had like the utmost respect for that guy. Cause it's a, it's a really dangerous job too. Um, they are, they are paid, they are paid pretty well, but it takes a certain kind of crazy to jump out of a plane into a wildfire where there's, there's no backup, you know, there's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. These fires can move pretty quickly. Well, Um, I got to tell you, it's crazy that, uh, like I've got, unlike you, I've got absolutely no experience. I got no friends that are firefighters or what have you. This is completely new to me. I straight up, I was surprised. I can't believe they would take people in from jail and throw them on the front oh, lines yeah. of forest fires that blows me away and that that's so that that was shocking to me and so for me not having your you know background i thought this was a pretty good idea for a story i really like this uh the basic premise of this story we get these four women they're all basically prisoners and uh they gotta they gotta build some brotherhood or sisterhood and, and uh you know they they have their you know they 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 form bonds that they need to in order to stay alive fighting these crazy forest fires and my only experience is what i see on tv and it looks insane and i know it's getting worse and worse because everyone's talking about climate change and so when i when i come into this story and then the and again we're not given we're not given too much away when we say that this is basically kind of like a like a robbery that takes place in a they're protecting billionaire homes in this in in California and they're going to rob one of them under the cover of a huge forest fire that's a pretty awesome premise for a story and and there's more to it of course cuz Scott Snyder being who he is you know there's going to be some misdirection and some some other shenanigans going on so i i was right off the bat i was i was hooked by by the end of this comic yeah it's uh it's I, and I didn't realize that at first. Like when it first got announced, and it was uh, you know these firefighters that are fighting wildfires. Uh, I thought, okay, well that's a good good idea for a story. I didn't know that it was the aspect which is a totally a thing. Like I said, uh, where they take prisoners and um, they train, and it's very hard. Uh, there was a really good article. I think it was in like Vanity Fair or um, or might have been the New Yorker a few years ago, and it talked about these, uh, especially the women that go and do this and how much they kind of sacrifice. And yeah, they are getting something back. They're not behind bars per se, you know, they're out 
with a little more freedom, uh, but they're out there risking their lives and they literally are paid like, you know, a couple dollars a day or something ridiculous. What, $2 and, a day in the comic. Yeah. 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 And that, that, yeah, that's about right. And the other aspect of it is the fact that they train so hard and then a lot of them, they get out, you know, they get, they serve their time, they've paid their debt to society and they get released and then they can't even find a job, a job, you know, and they, they need firefighters are shorthanded on fire, but they won't hire them to, you know, to fight these, uh, the, the state of California won't hire them to fight the fire, the fires because of their criminal records. Like, so wait a second, when <laughs> they're insane. incarcerated, when they're incarcerated, they're good enough, you know, they're risking their lives, they're sacrificing. Um, but then when they're actually released, when it would be of the most benefit to them, right. To, mm-hmm. to be, uh, you know, to get back on their feet and have a sense of purpose and a sense of worth, then you then you turn them down. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but yeah, this is a great premise. It's a great start. Uh, intrigued for very different individuals. Um, and, you know, anybody has been on a sports team, you know, when you kind of go through adversity together, it really kind of bonds you. Well, imagine that times 10 because, you know, these people are out there in a life and death situation, which is a lot more heightened tension than, you know, uh, some kind of a, you know, sporting event or what have you, a uh, sporting contest. Uh, the last thing that I'll mention is the Hayden Sherman art. Uh, this may be my favorite I've ever seen Hayden's art. It's not quite as, um, as sketchy. Uh, it's a little cleaner than I've seen his art in the past. And uh, again, if he is doing his own colors, he's doing a fantastic job because they're colors that you wouldn't necessarily expect you know, some pinks and some purples along with the yellows and oranges that you would think, okay, if you're reading a story about, you know, firefighters, you're going to see a lot of, you know, red and orange, but there's other, there's other uh, tones that he brings in, especially these pinks and blues and purples that really help the story pop off the page. Uh, I also thought he did a great job laying out the panels. There's one particular page where the panels could go out uh, like concentric circles. I thought that was a really cool design choice. So, yeah, I was I was really impressed. It's a it's a very well put together comic in terms of how it's technically made. Uh, and yeah, Scott's narrative. I mean, I'm always a sucker for high story. Like I love high stories. And now when you mash it up with something else, you know, we have uh, the kaiju score from Aftershock, which is you know giant monsters mashed up with heist. And now we're getting uh, fighting wildfires in the forest with uh, some kind of heist to a guy that sounds like he deserves to be. Uh, ripped off, to be honest with you. Uh, well, I won't say any more than that. I don't want to don't want to spoil it too much. But yeah, very impressed with this. Can't wait for the next issue. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, just uh, one other note is one of the, one of the things that Scott Snyder does, which I can say, which uh, does doesn't give anything away, is that uh, I, I believe he incorporates a lot of the language that the firefighters use because there's uh, he starts off by saying or or that they're they're. We don't really sure, not really sure who the narrator is, but it's the narrator is someone who we are told is going to have some something to do with how this ends. But the, but the yeah, main I character, think, I, I took it as the narrator is the the correction officer, the CO. But uh, I might be, I could be mistaken there. Yeah, it, it, yeah, no, you, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't really sure that 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 makes sense. Uh, I I don't want to. At the end, it gives a clue as to who the narrator might be. It involves uh, dealing with the ultimate fates of the firefighters. But well, I like the, that we get the five stages of the fire, of what a fire goes through. Uh, and uh, one of them is the trap. And uh, Ma, the, the lead firefighter, she's really good at spotting the traps. In other words, she sees the warning. She knows what to look out for. And 
And those those words are good metaphors for for the progression of the story that, you know, you know, should we should we rob this place? Shouldn't we? The decision whether or not to do so. Uh, you know, it's like it, it's like as as they're moving toward their ultimate fate, which is this robbery in the midst of this great fire, which which the the subsequent issues are going to give us more details about. It's it's almost like we're going through the stages of a fire, and so it's 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 the robbery again. It's a perfect metaphor for the story itself, and so it works really well, and it sets everything up, and it and it uh, as the reader, it just. It really right away it sets the tone, and you mentioned the art. I, I thought I thought the art was great. Uh, Hayden Sherman's art was really fantastic. Uh, my favorite uh, image was there's one where uh, Ma's life is monotonous. Every single day of her life is the life is the same thing. When she's basically in jail, she's a firefighter, but there's a monotony to it. And there's a great there's a great page which shows the monotony of it. And the one the 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 biggest thing that stands out is the memory of her daughter. And we're not sure if her daughter died or if her daughter is somewhere else being cared for. We're not really sure. But as uh, the relentlessness of her life and the hopelessness of it, in terms of just all she has is fighting fire. And we we, we again the mystery of we don't know ex- much about all these firefighters. We know a little bit about them. Uh, and. We know just enough to get us to want to buy the next issue for for sure. So, you know, high praise to Snyder. Yeah, and I do love that Scott did, did touch on it. I imagine it will come up a little more kind of, uh, you know, these women, they're, they're all incarcerated except for Ma. You know, Ma is the, the correction officer that's in charge of the crew. But the other four right. are all prisoners. Um, they're all incarcerated and, uh, you know, they're talking amongst themselves. And really there's a – there's a little bit of context of, you know, the social injustice of it all. And I'm not saying that because, again, we don't know exactly what these women did. Um, but the, we all know that, you know, people that come from, um, you know, poor backgrounds where their families are poor and, they, you know, they might struggle. They come from poor neighborhoods or what what have you. You know, it's it's like, what what are you supposed to do? You're sort of trapped, you know. Yeah, maybe you, you're selling drugs, but maybe you didn't have any other opportunity. You know, maybe the school districts there aren't, aren't you know, aren't as good. They're overworked and. You know, you, you see the poverty and the crime all around you. It's much easier to fall into that life. So, um, you know, you can't put everything on, on you know, the people. Sometimes it's circumstances, right? So uh, that is touched on societal circumstances, personal responsibility. Like all that stuff is going to be wrapped up in the story, it seems like. So, uh, all right. Well, let's move on to the first book. And again, this is coming out Wednesday, everybody, uh, July 20th, Dark Spaces Wildfire. So let's move on to the first of the digital releases that comes out. Today, as we're releasing this, July 19th on Comixology, it's Barnstormers. It's from uh, writer Scott Snyder, as we said. The art is by Tula Lote. Colors are by D. Cuniff. Letters by Richard Starkings. Uh, I love this. There's a little uh, paragraph right in the, the first page, and it gives a, a definition of barnstorming. I think probably a lot of us have heard the term. A form of entertainment popular for a brief period in the 1920s, wherein wayward pilots would impress spectators with daring feats, uh, dangerous feats of daring. So, you know, this isn't so long, the 1920s, so long after the, the airplane was, you know, invented. And these barnstormers, they would do, yeah, crazy stuff. A lot of the people they were performing for had never seen airplanes. So they would, you know, fly into town, um, fly over the town, do all these crazy barrel rolls and loop-de-loops and whatnot, and then land and you know, hope that the people were entertained enough that they'd give them a dollar or two, you know, that doesn't sound like very much money to us, but back in the 1920s, you know, that was, you know, maybe equivalent of $20, $30 now. So you were, you're sort of living on tips as it were for how you could entertain. And so that's the, the background of this 
story and we meet this guy who calls himself Hawk uh, and he says that he's uh, you know what an, an ace pilot and whatnot and uh, he's he's flying around we get to see a map of his um, of his journey that he's had so far and he's literally marking on the map little X's where he's been and how much money he's made. And some of the places he's not making very much. <laughs> one place only 90 cents. And one thing I have to, um, I have to think about, and you have to think about the, um, the time period that it's set in. Like you would think like nowadays making that little bit of money wouldn't, you wouldn't have enough for like gas or fuel, but fuel was a lot cheaper back then. Right. I mean, automobiles, <laughs> 1920s, it hadn't really, automobiles were kind of a new thing. So obviously fuel and whatnot was, you know, much cheaper back then. And, you know, there wasn't the FAA and all these regulations on where you could fly and that sort of thing. So it's very much a more innocent time and sort of a time of more freedom, but also in a way that also means freedom for people to do bad things. Like it was, you could get away with stuff a lot more, there were law, you know, wasn't law enforcement oversight, that kind of thing. So, uh, so in the story, uh, we are following this guy who calls himself Hawk, whose real name is Bix. And, um, you know, it's sort of in the, in the South, Southeastern United States where a lot of this took place. And he flies over what he thinks is a bunch of people that are gathered there because what he does, the, the guy that trained him said the best way you can kind of drum up business for yourself is you make friends with the operators. Cause remember everything was manual at this time. Phones, again, phone lines were something that were re really new. So in that time, you know, if, if you can make friends with the operator and they were invariably women back there and you can get one of the operators to call some of the operators from the next town over that you're about to go to and let them know, you know, kind of like uh, almost like a uh, – uh, what's the word I'm searching for? Like a uh, well, somebody to drum, like a, a PR, like a PR, press yeah. person or pub publicist, you know, yeah. um, and get – so they can – there will be a crowd. So when you fly over the town – and you're doing your tricks, you know, the more people that are there, the more opportunity the pilot's going to have to make to make some money. So that's what he's trying to do. And but when he flies over to Barnesville and he sees a big gathering, he assumes it's because of the groundwork he laid previously. But it comes to find out it's this woman's wedding. Uh, and and while he's in the midst of doing his uh, tricks and he flies a little too low and snags a wheel on the ground and uh, it kind of ruins the wedding reception, crashes into the tables and whatnot. And uh, apparently this family is, is very influential and very rich and they don't take too kindly to uh, Bix crashing the party and they, they kind of beat him up and uh, lock him up in the garage. Uh, when Bix comes to early the next morning, kind of before the sun's up, he, uh, he's thinking, how am I going to get out of this? He realizes that they didn't lock the handcuffs. So he runs out to his plane to take off and lo and behold, there's the bride that just got married the day before that said, I'm the one that unlocked your handcuffs we're leaving and you're taking me with you and he's like no nah, i'm not what are you talking about i'm not about to to go with you uh and then his hand is kind of forced because um all the other gentlemen in the in the house in the family have uh woken up they see that bix is not in the garage they've got their dogs out and they're going to go out hunting them so um he's going to have to take off and uh, apparently he's taken this girl who just got married tilly uh, with him. So uh, that's basically what happens. Like I said, a bit of setup. I love the more innocent time of, of the 1920s, the setting, but yet we're told that this is a, a, a murder mystery in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, well, I, I, it's a ballad of love and murder. It's right in the title. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So, uh, you know, 
just because it's set in this more innocent time and uh, Tula Lote does an incredible job with the art to really evoke both a, a feeling of innocence as well as a kind of an old kind of fashion uh, and obviously the aesthetic with, you know, the old cars and the old architecture and buildings and biplane and whatnot. Uh, but beyond that, the colors that are in here from D Cunniff do a really good job too. It's not like sepia tone, but there is almost like a bit of a filter that you really feel like you're being thrown back in time. So uh, I absolutely loved it. What did you think, Rocky? Well, uh, first of all, if, for all fans of uh, James Dean, Rebel Without a Cause, uh, fans there of The go. Rocketeer, uh, pick this up. Uh, this I even got some Dave, Dave, Dave Stevens vibes on the art from, from Tila Lotte, even though their artistic styles are different. She actually is I, – I actually uh, – I love this. There, there's a sexiness here. There is a full-page spread – of this beautiful bride, Tilly. She's wearing cowboy boots, a sexy lower cut, just by the knees wedding dress uh, with a sort of pearl flowery uh, necklace wrapped around her forehead. Looks, She looks absolutely gorgeous. She's sitting on this biplane waiting for Hawk as he wakes up and he's running toward his plane to escape because he was knocked out by, the, by a very angry groom and he just wants to get the hell out of there. And she's blocking his way and she's got a shot Kind of, she's saying, you're taking me with you. So this is a bride that wants to escape her wedding. So Hawk is overwhelmed. He's saying, like, what the hell have I gotten myself into here? And so this is just this is just playing a lot of fun. And but there's a wild card. And the wild card here is that Hawk has these flashbacks and these hallucinations that only in two or three spots throughout the narrative where he imagines this robotic creature called that he calls Mr. Baby and it's and this is this takes place in the night this is this the setting of this takes place in northeastern southern northeastern United States this is 1927 so they don't have robots there but he's got these visions of robots that he of, of robotic creatures that he's had before and he imagines seeing and so that's the wild card aspect of this so on the surface this is just a guy that wants to make a living flying his biplane making some money on the side flying from town to town utilizing an operator system sort of wooing and probably sleeping with various operators just flying from town to town happy-go-lucky guy james dean rebel type uh yet he as he says to tilly i'm a bad guy i'm i'm I'm, you don't understand i'm kind of a bad guy until he says to him you promise i mean she i mean there's sexiness in here and there's uh there's suggestive uh things going on and anyways this is just, it's sexy, it's fun, it's adventurous. Uh, this is, uh, in my heart, this is w- one of my favorite of the groups that we're going to be reviewing today. So, uh, again, I mean, high praise there. I would, I would give this uh, out of 10, I, I mean, uh, I would give this a solid 9.5 just because I, I just, I love, I love the art, Tula Lote. And I, I just, I just love that Dave Stevens feel, the Rocketeer feel. Everything about this, I just puts a smile on my face. Yeah, I, I agree. It was fantastic. And you know, I can't help but wonder, so what's Tilly's deal? Is, was it an arranged marriage? Was she forced into the marriage? She sees this as a way to escape. Was she, is she a con artist and, you know, was only marrying the guy for, you know, his money or yeah, you just, you got to wonder what her deal is that she wants to, to get away so badly. So, yeah. uh, all right, well, let's move on to the next book that we're going to talk about. Uh, as I said, uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Dudley Dotson and the Forever Machine is a collaboration along with Jamal Eigel. He's the pencil. So let me go ahead and give the uh, the creative team 
which is uh, there is uh, a credits page. I'm just waiting for it to load here. And uh, I thought it was the credits page was really, really cool looking because it's, it, uh, it's the credits are laid out circular around this, um, this kind of symbol of Dudley Dotson, which is sort of this circle that's been cut in half and sort of offset. Uh, so yeah, written by Scott Snyder, pencils by Jamal Eichel, inks are by Juan Castro, colors are by Chris Sotomayor, and letters by Tom Napolitano. So uh, we don't get a specific year in this one, but it does seem to be pretty modern times. But we are told about inventor, inventors through history who are, are pretty famously known. Invent like Albert Einstein's one, um, Alexander Graham Bell, and uh, Leonardo da Vinci. And they all have had pets through time. And we're not sure exactly who's narrating here. Uh, but then uh, we're introduced to Dudley Dotson, who is on stage. Uh, apparently at a presentation for this academy he goes to that's for uh, science-minded individuals, uh, young people, young persons, because I he, he think he's right around 18. Um, and and basically his, uh, his invention kind of malfunctioned and there are clothes that are supposed to be able to transform their look and appearance. But right before he went on stage, he accidentally damaged it without realizing it. And so right as he walks on stage, they go transparent. <laughs> so he basically walks out there in his underwear. So we're not exactly, as I said, sure who's narrating here, but from that start of seeing Dudley in his underwear, we uh, we see Dudley and his father, get some context. We find out that his dad is sick. Uh, they live in New York City. Not exactly sure how he's sick or what exactly he's dealing with. His mom isn't around anymore. Get the sense that she uh, passed away. And Dudley's kind of struggling um, with, should he be pursuing his dreams or should he be there for his father who uh, he, you know, is getting older and frail and, you know, he's, he's very much worried about his father and uh, whatever this um, affliction he has is. And then we, we skip to uh, an, an interlude where we see some, some figure in a, in a red hooded cloak. And they're talking about wanting to retrieve this watch at all costs and how they've been waiting uh, 5,000 years to retrieve it. And clearly these are the bad guys as it were. Um, yeah. And so uh, what happens is Dudley's father was planning on going to the presentation, but had a spell, uh, had a, a something happen with his affliction where he couldn't make it. And, you know, Dudley, even though his father was able to, to watch it virtually on zoom, he says, uh, and got a big kick out of seeing Dudley there in his underwear. Dudley's, you know, worried. And he thinks about, quitting or at least taking a sabbatical uh, from the, the Institute because he needs to take care of his father. Um, and so he goes to the Institute late at night to try to figure out what went wrong. And while he's there, the, he hears the head of the Institute uh, call out and goes running over what, wearing his clothes, the ones that can turn him invisible and look, uh, you know, change their appearance and whatnot and finds the, uh, the head of the Institute who's been a mentor to him, Dr. Shea wearing like this battle suit, but in, in very poor shape. And she gives Dudley a watch and a watch was mentioned by those bad guys previously um, and says, keep this away from the needle's eye. Whatever you do, don't let them get it. Um, and kind of, kind of passes away is what it seems like. And Dudley's thinking, well, what do I do now? And all of a sudden uh, Dr. Shea's dog who had always barked at Dudley and, uh, none of the other students, but I always barked at Dudley and never seemed to like him, literally talks to him and says, we run, Dudley, we run for our lives. So obviously Dudley's shocked 
this dog that never seemed to like him. Daedalus. Uh, Daedalus is the yeah, name of the dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's I think it's pronounced da- Daedalus. Oh, Daedalus. Like, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> which I think was uh, I think it's the name of both a, a an ancient god, either Roman or Greek, and also the name of um, some different space programs in, in the United States at, at one point. Yeah. But, but anyway, yeah, he, he's like, we run for our lives, Dudley. So <laughs> Dudley's like, uh, wait, what's going on? Why is this dog talking to me? And we find out on the final page that uh, the the person, I use that term loosely, that's narrating is actually this dog, Daedalus, who's, 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 he's the narrator. So I'm completely hooked. I have no idea what the heck's going on. I thought the Jamal Eichel art was, was really clean and fun. Um, the colors by Chris Sotomayor are very bright, which gives it that sort of classic comic book feel, silver agey feel. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested, like, what is the watch? Does it have to do with time travel? What, you know, who are these bad guys? The needle's eye. What's the deal with these, ta- with this talking dog? Uh, what exactly is the forever machine? Is the forever machine the watch? Like a lot of questions, more questions than answers. Um, but a really intriguing start. And Dudley comes across as very a very likable character, like yeah. right from the start. So um, while I don't think this is particularly aimed at younger readers, I think it's all, that being said, it's also very new reader friendly. Like there's no like themes in here that are, you know, more adult or anything. I, I think, you know, if you're looking for something to share with, you know, younger reader in your life, uh, this is, could be right up their alley. I mean, who doesn't love talking dogs? Of course, kids love talking animals of all kinds. So, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. What do you think, Rock? Uh, you know, this is a Pixar movie to me. This felt like a Pixar movie. Yeah, it, it started yeah. off just it, this is all ages and fun. Uh, Dudley is very likable. Uh, I mean, he, he. I mean, the, the central conceit at the beginning is how all inventors have a have a pet, a dog or a pet cat that loves them, that likes them, and uh, it's an ongoing joke at different points in the opening issue where you know this this Daedalus dog or whatever doesn't doesn't like him, is barking at him all the time. His inventions all seem to go awry. Uh, we're we're led to believe that his invention at the beginning, he's sort of humiliated at the Young Inventor Society gala that he has because he's half naked on the stage. So something went wrong. So his inventions don't work as well as they should. Pets don't like him. So things aren't looking really well for him. Meanwhile, he's he's got a father who appears to be sick, and his father gets so sick, his father can't even make it to the to his uh in his showing of his invention and uh but it's there's so much fun to be had he invents these smart clothes called duds which are consists of clear flexible lcd threads and so he we know he's a really smart kid we know that he's got a good relationship with his teacher dr shea we know he's got a best friend his best friend is called ono like ono (laughs) it's kind of funny and so it's uh there's there's just there's fun to be had here i even love the introduction of how we know it's going to be the bad guys because really right out of the blue all of a sudden we get this go this goateed black man talking to a hooded figure and you could tell it just has an eerie evil feel like it, it felt like a pixar movie to me like it just felt like and and it's it's not decompressed. It's fast paced. It, it gets to the heart of the matter. We get some good character work right away. We like Dudley. We want, we want what's best for him. We, we, uh, even the talking dog at the end uh, was, it, it brought the beginning of the story about dogs not liking him right to the end. And then to find out the dog's the narrator, just, you know, this was, again, this is exactly what you want in an opening issue of a comic book. It pulls you in because you want, 
because I mean, how can we not want to read the next issue? Because now all of a sudden, by the end of this first issue, boom, we're right in the middle of an adventure. And like you said, I'm asking, you're asking, what is the forever machine? And what does that have to do with the watch that Dr. Shea gave to him before she passed on? And these bad guys that are chasing him, you know, what's going on? So a lot of fun, like, again, a lot of fun. I'm uh, really enjoying reviewing these. So this three for three, man. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And we may have saved the best for last year as we talk about Canary. Uh, again, written by Scott Snyder. This time he's collaborating with artist uh, Dan Pinocean. Who, if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you've heard Dan on the show before. We've had him on a couple times. Um, I think the last time we had him on was to talk about Slots, which is his uh, creator-owned book that he um, about a gambler that he both wrote and illustrated. That's absolutely fantastic. So uh, much like. Uh, Francis Manipal on Clear or Tula Lote or Hayden Sherman. Uh, Dan is doing the art line work and the, the colors. Uh, the letters in uh, Canary are done by Richard Starking. So uh, different time period here, as uh, we talked about at the beginning with all the diversity of these stories. So we're in the Utah Territory, 1891, so not even a state yet. And we hear the story about a, a man uh, named Apple, who Johnny Apple, who was uh, – even though he was from kind of a rougher family, he was uh, – Johnny was the one kind of good apple, they called him even as a, as a nickname. And he walks into this um, schoolhouse one day as this woman is talking about the United States forming and uh, becoming part of the United States of America. And there's talk of Utah joining. And he walks up to the teacher, pulls out a straight razor and just slits her throat. And it's completely out of character for this kid to have done this. And so we meet William Holt, who is a, a marshal, and he's talking to the town sheriff. And now the town sheriff actually has some authority, right? Like he's an elected official or appointed official for the town. But technically, this U.S. Marshal William Holt, whether he has jurisdiction, because, again, it's just a territory. The, the government of the United States has only given it territorial status, not statehood. So there's a question of, you know, and again, you know, typical wild west story, you know, everybody's out there with guns and whatnot. And it's, it's not exactly how it was not exactly hundred um, percent historically accurate, but it makes sure makes for a good story. So there's that aspect of it. And um, when tell goes out to the, or Holt rather, when uh, William Holt goes out to the apple farm, uh, he gets in a confrontation with the family and we meet the boy and the boy's mother, you know, is talking about how there's something wrong with him, but we're going to handle it ourselves. And, you know, he hasn't been right for a long time. And there's a, there's a confrontation with the Apple family. And then as Holt checks in with his boss, we find out that there have been these sort of unexplained murders or attacks or whatever. These just seemingly innocent people, the last people in the world you would think would do something like this. Uh, you know, like an old woman locked a theater door and burned it down, killing everybody inside because she didn't like the play that was, you know, that, that's like crazy stuff that happens nowadays with crazy people. So why are these seemingly innocent people, old women, little boys out there murdering people? <clears throat> and so there's this theory that maybe it's something in the water in certain places. And uh, his boss tells him he needs to go investigate it. But it happens to be at a place where, uh, where William Holt has some history where he tracked down somebody named Hiram Tell um, previously and something went horribly wrong um, when he tracked down this Hiram Tell. And the story of Holt taking down 
Hiram Till is such a almost a legendary myth um, in the West that uh, Holt himself is the subject of dime store novels about you know this heroic deed he did taking out um, Hiram Tell back in the day, and so we get a flashback of him confronting Tell, and it's clear that there's something not right with Tell as well, and so you can't help but wonder. Are all of these other people who have committed these atrocities? Were they in, are they infected with whatever infected Tell? Uh, it was Tell some kind of evil supernatural being. Like there's got to be some connection there. Uh, but Holt definitely doesn't want anything to do with it. But his boss is like, uh, "I'm your boss. You got you know you got to do what I tell you." And think of it this way: you can go back up there and whatever it is that happened between you and Tell uh, that you're still carrying around, maybe you can face it and get some peace. So uh, the area that he has to head to is uh, has a mine called the Canary Mine, and it's abandoned for reasons rumored to be haunted and whatnot. So again, does that have to do with this idea of you know supernatural? Did they unearth something? Um, you know what could be going on there? So th- this is old west, and it feels old west, but it also feels creepy and supernatural with maybe some elements to get into some real horror, some real horrific things coming up. So uh, I'm a big fan of Dan Panogian's art. He does a fantastic job with the colors, especially uh, when we get the flashback to, uh, to Hiram tell it's everything is in blues and yellows and the background is, is the yellow and it really helps the blue pop off the page. So uh, I think Dan Panosian is, an artist that not enough people talk about how fantastic his work is. Like the most people that I see talking about how great his work is are other creators. Like everybody wants to work with them or get a cover from them or whatnot. I don't hear enough comic fans talking about Dan as uh, really fantastic. He has such a, a visceral style, you know, and, and granted, you know, he came up in the nineties uh, over at image and his style back then was wildly different than you see here. Um, much more like almost like a Liefeld clone. And so maybe people hear the name, you know, Dan Pinocian, and that's what they think of. Uh, but Dan kind of left comics for a little while, did some advertising, some storyboards for movies and whatnot, and has come back. Uh, and his style is much different now, uh, much more his own. And it's uh, it's really fantastic. He can tell these type of stories, Westerns or Slice of Life or Crime Noir. Like his style is very suited to that sort of gritty visceral type story and uh, this story based on the first issue feels like uh, it's a it's a perfect match wouldn't surprise me if scott had dan in mind for this like right from the beginning so uh, i i thought it was fantastic what do you think rocky uh yeah i agree uh i'm i'm so uh, i feel so fortunate this is the second week in a row i've, I've got to review a western comic uh, the other one i reviewed was uh, with uh uh Jim, another on another indie review called "Above Snakes," written by Sean Lewis, which I uh, uh, I enjoyed this. I, I I enjoyed that, but this this I enjoyed just a, uh, quite a bit more because of the the art here is just fantastic with Dan Panosian, and uh, you know I won't add to the narrative that you I won't uh, I won't repeat what you just said. You did a good overview, but I really like the symbolism here. I like that this William Marshall William Holt. Uh, I like the fact that he's a no-nonsense kind of character. And you really got a sense that this guy believes in justice because, you know, at the beginning, there's the symbolism of the egg and the teacher that was killed was using the eggs to show about, to try to distinguish between statehood and talking about, you know, 
different things can eat. Just looking at an egg, you don't know what's inside an egg. It could be a snake. It could be a reptile of some kind. It could be could be a chicken. It could be a bird. You don't know by looking at eggs. And this kid that that ended up, uh, you know, killing the teacher, he he gives William Tell. He wants William Tell to bury this egg so that a monster will grow from it. But well, you know, this uh, William Holt, you know, he just. His his view of eggs is no he just he cracks the eggs open and he eats he eats the contents he doesn't care what's in an egg he it's you know he has a job to do and I I, I really like the character Marshall William Holt is no nonsense and you got a sense that in the past when he took down this Hiram Tell that he got the job done but it had an impact on him and there's a horror element here that we know Scott Snyder is really good at at least it suggested this 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 Hiram Tell how did he infect the water and the and then the water and the, out from these canary mines infected the outlying towns where all these murders have taken place and maybe infected the minds there's so many questions that we have we don't have answers to but you know this uh there's uh, the perfect symbolism and then i'll just i'll i'll end there the perfect symbolism on the last page is this 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 eagle coming down uh about to pick up this cracked egg this empty egg so william uh, this uh, william holt never did bury the egg so that a monster would hatch even though this young kid he made a promise to that kid that he would do so. And, you know, what does that mean? What does this mean? And again, I'm always looking for the metaphor. And Scott Snyder is always good at those those hidden messages as he's shown, shown so often. So I'm loving this because this is a Western. This could easily have turned into another Western trope, a revenge story. You know, good guy versus bad. You know, Marshall getting hunting of the bad guy. This is This is more to that. There's far more to this story. And I love the setting. I love the timing. Uh, you know, Utah, pre-statehood, good stuff, entertaining stuff. Four for four, man. Scott Snyder, great job. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I love, I hope more of that idea of, of statehood and jurisdiction and whatever, I, I hope more of that is interwoven in the story because it's so interesting to me, kind of the push and pull, the, the political part of it where, you know, who's really got the authority and whatnot. So, yeah, I, and I agree with you about um, – about Holt, he definitely seems like a no-nonsense guy. We we were told that early on when he's talking to the sheriff, and the sheriff's got like a posse together to go with him, and he doesn't want him to go with him. And he's just very this very matter of fact with the sheriff to the point where the sheriff at one point says, "You know, it's funny, Marshall. You ain't such a such a some bitch in the no, dime store novels." And uh, and Holt <laughs> says, "Yeah, that's why they're called fiction, sheriff." Like I just love, that's such a great line. Like yeah. yeah. Basically, he's admitting, yeah, I am a son of a bitch. Uh, and if I come across nicer in the novels, well, yeah, those those dime store novels are make-believe. So uh, so that that's it. Uh, I agree. Four for four. Boy, if I had to pick a favorite, uh, I think for me, Barnstormers narrowly edges out Canary. But, you know, that could change after the next issue comes out. But they're all recommended. They're all worth reading. You know, the – the range between you know what I think is maybe the best or my favorite one and what is my least is very small. Uh, I would be happy you know picking up any of these, and I would definitely be uh, happy to you know recommend them to anybody. Uh, I don't think anybody that reads these would be disappointed in, in the quality, whether it's the different style of art or color or different narratives. Uh, I think they're all very much uh, worth reading. So. Uh, you have a favorite, Rocky? What would you uh, I do. Name? I think I, I played my hand quite early. Barnstormers. I just I just love yeah. it. But uh, but again, they're they're all excellent. They're they're all excellent. And I you know I've got full intentions whenever they they make these 
this is all digital, right? None of this is physical yeah. copies yet. Uh, well, the the dark spaces wildfires is uh, is both digital and physical. It comes out from IDW, okay. but well, the other three are Comicsology originals, which will come out on Comicsology first and then be in print at a later time. Probably based on uh, when uh, how long it's taking for the first wave, I would think that it would be 2023 before we saw any of the uh, either Barnstormers or Dudley Dotson or Canary. I would think it's probably next year, 2023, when they'll see print. Yeah. Well, uh, either way, I, I love Barnstormers. Uh, they're all good. And uh, the great thing is, is that I've got plenty of time to plan and a budget to make sure I, 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 I get them all. I would prefer to have them all in. Uh, I, I would love Barnstormers at Lulu uh, Lotte. Uh, I'm so sorry, Tula Lotte art. I wish that was in a hardcover form. I, I would I would love that. That's my personal favorite. Second is Canary because I'm a huge Western fan. I got a huge Jonah Hex collection and I just love uh, Panosian's art. He just absolutely nails it. So Yeah, I agree. I, like I really hope they do something special for Barnstormers, like more than just a regular comic format. Like I, I'd need it bigger, you know, at least uh, at least like the um, like black label size, if not, you know, larger yeah, hardcover. Yeah, preferably. Yeah. So, so I guess we'll see. Uh, so that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Uh, hope you guys all enjoyed it. Don't forget, on uh, Tuesdays, we also do our DC Spotlight episode, so that'll be out today as well. And then if you uh, don't get a chance to go to San Diego Comic-Con, you're not going to be there, follow Comic Source on social media. Uh, I'll have I'll be live tweeting throughout the show and putting up pictures on my social uh, media threads and whatnot and doing lots of interviews at the shows. I'm not sure if I have time. I'll, I'll be posting some episodes while I'm at the show. might not be till the following week. Because honestly, I, I, I've overcommitted myself to interviews and, and different obligations. But definitely give us a follow um, and, and uh, you'll be able to follow along. And then, of course, I'll do uh, an episode breaking down the, the whole convention. I might record it in the car on my dr long drive home late Sunday night when I'm trying to stay awake. We'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see for that. So uh, anything you want to plug? you have anything else coming up this week, Rocky? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I do. Uh, coming out Wednesdays. Uh, well, first of all, obviously, I review DC with you every week, and uh, we're we're going to be reviewing the Scott Snyder's uh, ongoing uh, series here. I do. I'm starting to review uh, other independent, random independent comic books uh, with uh, Jim Warner of Word Science DC. Uh, that comes out every Wednesday. And uh, we, I, I read my first manga comic, Chainsaw Man, last week. Reviewed that. It was, it was surprisingly entertaining. I was very impressed. So God forbid, I'm gonna. I haven't bought a manga yet, but who knows? I, but uh, so far, digitally, it's been been entertaining. But no, it's it's fun. So if people want, uh, other than usually it's just DC on my site, but it's uh, nice to branch out uh, with yourself and others uh, to uh, broaden my horizons a bit. Yeah, fantastic. So that's going to do it, everybody. Make sure you follow Rocky's channel on YouTube so you don't miss any of that content. Comic Space Boom, exclamation point. Like the video, ring the notification bell, leave some comments. You guys know what to do. Uh, conversely, if you always check us out on YouTube and you're curious about the other content from the Comic Source, just go to wherever you get your podcast and do a search for the Comic Source and subscribe. So that's going to do it for this episode. We appreciate you all joining as always, and we'll talk to you next time. See you later. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter 
twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.